Welcome to the Supported Living Property Podcast with your host, me, Lisa Brown, the place to learn about supported living property investing. Before we get started, I want to make sure you know about the Supported Living Property Network. If you need a property for supported living, if you have property that you want to lease to a supported living provider, or if you simply want to learn more about supported living property, then the network is here to help you. You can find out more in the show notes or by going to my website, www.lisabrown.uk. In this episode, Suzanne Gale shares her experience of being a local authority commissioner and working with many different commissioners. She explains who commissioners are, how they work, the role they perform and what decisions they can and cannot make. She explains what to do if you have a property available and want to approach a commissioner and what to do if you're a provider who wants to work in a particular area. She gives some great advice for small providers about creative ways to get work and for property investors about finding providers to lease your property. Hi, Suzanne. It's great to have you here again for another podcast. Hi, Lisa. Nice to be back. <laughs> for those who haven't listened to the earlier podcasts or aren't sure who you are, just, do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Suzanne Gale. I do various things. Um, at the moment, I'm just finishing uh, quite a big project in uh, Middlesbrough Council where I've been working on a one-door access project for um, homelessness, housing rate support and domestic abuse and um, mental health. Sorry, not mental health, substance use within that edge of mental health. Um, and I've also uh, just working with IEZ at the moment on a SEND project, special educational needs, because um, there's lots of work going with that. And obviously housing is quite a big part of that as well. Um, and I'm just I just generally do quite a lot of training in, in supported housing and that my background is in supporting people when that came out. And I've worked for landlords and providers and I kind of purposely work around different kinds of organisations so that I can keep my my eye in, if you like, about, you know, the different and, and conflicting priorities of those groups. So, um, yeah, I just work around housing a lot for different groups of people. Um, and, and that's why. You've got such a great background to talk about the all kinds of different things to do with supported housing, haven't you? Because of yeah. you know, because of that, that you bring lots of different angles to it. And that's why, you know, and we we actually this has kind of led from a conversation I think we had a little while ago, hasn't it? We were talking about commissioners mm. and actually a, about the issues around commissioners. And people talk a lot about commissioners in supported housing and supported living. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, isn't there, about who they are and what they are. And so so we thought we'd just kind of clear some of that up a little bit yeah. today so so I guess we need to start at the beginning who are commissioners Suzanne who are a com- when we're talking about commissioners what are we talking about yeah so commissioners um commissioners of, often have a very wide brief and they will quite often have a different brief depending on the organization that they work for so in theory a commissioner is the person sort of in the middle of everything who has the responsibility to work out what we need um, in the local area or nationally, um, commission it. So go out, find out who's going to potentially offer that. Then they'll go through a commissioning process, which is usually a procurement. So there's lots of words here that quite often get mixed up. Um, and then when they've awarded a contract, so procurement will award a contract and the commissioner will be part of that. And then they will monitor. The commissioner has a responsibility to see how that contract is going. So are, are the it is the service offering what we want it to offer and then we have what's called the commissioning cycle because then we get to a stage where we'll say in three five or ten even 20 years sometimes 
is that still what we need is still you know do we still have um, a strategy that says that's what we, we want to do or has the government changed its mind or has the needs of people changed and if they have we will then go through that whole cycle again and go right okay but what is it we need go out to the market how are we going to offer it go through a commissioning process again procure it and then and then we go through that so there's there's what we call the commissioning cycle and in most local authorities that's about three to five years so you'll often get a contract it's a three-year contract plus two which means if it's going well and we still want it we'll add another two years and then quite often you do another two years um so that that in theory is what commissioning is it's saying what do we need how are we going to buy it let's buy it let's see how it's going and then we go around in that circle in reality, commissioning oh, sorry, has a much wider brief than that in most authorities, because as we know, um, in local authorities, the money's definitely gone down and we just don't have enough for people to be true commissioners anymore. So sometimes what they'll do is they'll just be buying, going, well, actually, we need to get something very quick. So I'll work with my procurement colleagues to do a direct award and just go, right, you're the only person that can do it and we need it quickly. So let's, let's just buy that. There's often um, brokerage teams, so they'll be working with brokerage. And what brokerage do is they um, buy off what's already available and what's already been agreed. But often commissioning and brokerage are very tightly um, knitted in local authorities. And commissioning also just gets, um, I mean, when I've been a commissioner, for example, the, the COVID money, a lot of that kept went into commissioning to try and manage um, and there's all, you know, procurement and commissioning often gets very mixed up as well. So a commissioner doesn't often do true commissioning in its true sense. They often do a lot of other things as well, like value for money assessments, trying to work out what we're going to do with our limited resources, et cetera, et cetera. And if things go wrong, um, if they're safeguarding, et cetera, that often is works with commissioning as well, because that's part of the contract. So, so there's often a lot going on in commissioning. And if you are a commissioner, depending on where you work, you, you'll have a varied job in terms of what you're actually doing. But in theory, you're deciding what services are needed and then you're monitoring them when, as they go. So that's kind of in the true sense. I've gone around the corner a bit but with that. Yeah, no, no, and, and it's basically, it's, it's looking, isn't it, at your population, at the needs in your local area and going, this yeah. is kind of what we're going to need in the next few years and trying to plan for that. Yeah. yeah, and also in terms of, you know, what grant funding is available, because obviously in a local authority, we've got lots of different kinds of funding. So you'll have your core funding. So that's the central government money that comes down that says, here's your core money and you can decide what to do with that. And then the local area will decide where they want that money to go. So they'll say, actually, we've got real need for learning disabilities or we've got a big homelessness issue or we've got our domestic abuse figures are all over the world. So centrally, they will decide who that goes to. And then commissioning will then go, OK, well, that's the money I've got. I will then work with the service to go, what, what do you think we need? The local area potentially put um, a market engagement exercise together to go, right, here's the market. Do you think this is going to work? If I try and buy this, is it going to work? And then they also will work with our procurement colleagues to go, what's the legal way to do it? Um, but then, of course, you know, you've got your commissioning cycle and then the government will say, well, actually, here's another, you know, £200,000 that you've got to spend in the next year. And then, and then obviously commissioning will need to decide, are we going to add that onto a current contract? Is that legal? Are we going to go out again? 
or do we already have a framework because that's another way to work and can we just use that money to buy off our framework as well so and that's another way that that commissioners will work so what they might do is have what we call a framework agreement and they will get lots of providers to bid and, and meet a minimum standard and then it means if you've got a framework agreement you don't have to go out every time you want to spend more money you can say actually we've already agreed that these people are okay to work with so I'm going to go to my framework agreement and put it out to them and say which which person is going to be the best for this piece of work or to support this person etc cetera, etc cetera. so so yeah it, it's it it's quite complicated um and quite complex and it will um, really differ across different authorities especially yes. when you've got big authorities and much smaller authorities yeah, certainly the the commissioners that I know and have worked closely with in different areas work in completely different ways and have quite different responsibilities really within those. So it's not like a this is what a commissioner in every local authority will do, is it? It's quite it's, it's not. I mean, I mean, I've been I've worked as a commissioner many, many times, but the majority of the stuff I do is is kind of the spot purchase stuff where where I'll just be looking around, going, actually, I need a, a place for somebody with a learning disability and I will go to a number of them and then we'll have a spot contract means I'm just going to buy that one bit of it and that's very common in learning disabilities that that's what we do we have a spot contract um, there's a push to pull away from that because if you've got too many spot contracts it's incredibly hard to manage and keep an eye on the safety of people there especially if they're out of authority but sometimes especially when you've got a need that's very specific and if you've got somebody with um behaviors that are challenging that can only be met in a certain place you know if you're in a city and somebody needs lots of space and outside space you're pretty much going to have to go outside of the, of the inner city so you know there, there's times when that that's really appropriate but I think most authorities are trying to pull that back and commission better services in their own authority and meet those needs in authority for financial but also for um, safeguarding reasons as well because obviously that's a big risk if you commission services out of authority you don't then have safeguarding responsibility and you don't have a lot of say in what goes on mm. and also for family and friends and contact with everyone it's difficult if someone's absolutely out absolutely yeah um and and commissioners have lots of like you'll have different commissioners for different areas of need won't you yeah. so you tend to have maybe like a learning disabilities commissioner in yeah. some area and, and again that really um that really differs across authorities. So if you've got a very big authority, um, so if you're somewhere you know, like Birmingham or Manchester, where you've got a big um, am amount of people with that needs group, you will have potentially two or three, for example, learning disability commissioners. You may have somebody who's primarily the autistic lead. You may have somebody who, who just does the homelessness stuff. Generally, the commissioning is split into two types and that's prevention and ongoing support. So if somebody's part of the, um, really the, the old prevention agenda stuff, that probably will fall into one group, but not always, you know, and it depends how many restructures there have been and, and mergers, et cetera. But generally you'll, you'll have groups that make sense. Um, so it might be learning disability and mental health always seem to go together, although I think they're completely different. Um, quite often they do sit together. And obviously lots of people are doing um, public health and um, local authority now as well so adult social care and public health often sit together as part of that new agenda 
I haven't seen it work brilliantly in many places, but there's there's a, a push to kind of get those different um, those people commissioning together, because obviously the needs quite often cross loads of those boundaries. So if somebody's homeless, there's a strong chance that they've probably got some kind of mental health or substance use issue as well. So that there's a push to kind of get those two working together. So you may have a commissioner with that agenda attached to them too. Mm. Um, but, you know, that it, it really will depend. You might have a small authority where somebody's got responsibility for homelessness, housing-related support, domestic abuse, and, you know, three other things as well. So, um, yeah, so it depends on numbers, it depends on agendas, and it depends on, um, you know, how how established a lot of that, that team is and, and how established a lot of the, um, the providers are. And typically, what kind of background would someone be to be a commissioner? Really differs, really, really differs. So um, I became a commissioner when I'd been a supporting people person back in the supporting people world, for those who um, remember those days. So I, I was a reviewer and then we decided what we wanted. I then became a commissioner just by default. Um, because all those roles became commissioning roles. So I had to learn very quickly. Um, some people, there's a lot of education now. So some people come out of university having done public um, public services commissioning. So we've got a lot of young um, commissioners coming through that have got a really good understanding of the legalities around it that I kind of came into it not knowing. Um, I sort of had to blag my way through at the beginning, and I'm still by no means a specialist, but a lot of the younger people coming through now really do understand the law, procurement law and, and commissioning cycles. So that's great to have that group in. Um, often people come in through having worked in services. So they, if you've got a very specific role, so if you want to be, um, we want somebody who's a specialist homeless commissioner or a specialist substance use services commissioner, you might get somebody that's worked in a hospital ward or has, has worked in a big service that comes in going, well, actually, I really know what we need. Mm. So they might not have that specialist knowledge in terms of the law, but they will really know their client group. So it, people come from a really mixed group um, of places. What people are really realising is that people do need to have that um, that understanding of the client group. I think for a while we had commissioners that came from, you know, sort of very, very much more procurement-y backgrounds and they didn't understand the complexities. Um, so they, they were sort of buying people services like they were doors, re replacements, all of streetlights. Um, I, I think thankfully that's changed now and I think most commissioners will know or at least know they need to listen to the specialists to know what is needed and what they need to buy. Mm -hmm. But there's still a battle. There's, there's always a bit of a battle with commissioning and procurement because um, commissioning wants something creative and exciting. And then procurement says, well, actually, you're not legally allowed to do all of that. And you're like, well, but that's what I want to do. But legally, you can't. So there's always there's always that slight issue with procurement that says, well, legally, that's not appropriate. Right. Legally, you need to put. So, for example, one of the most frustrating things as a commissioner is you've got group of people in need I know this provider I know they're really good I know they do it I know they hit the ground running and sort it and, and procurement will say no the contract's too big we need to go out we need to get you know a 30-day market engagement thing and then when you're like oh that's, you know and, and then potentially you'll get a provider in that you don't think is going to do a good job but that's legally the way you need to do it so mm -hmm. it's it's kind of about 
um, some of the work I've done with people is is bidding and you know providers to say actually you've really got to sell yourself here because you've got a reach. All right. Sorry, sorry. They're really barking, aren't they? Can you hear them through the thing? The dogs. I can't. No. Oh, can't you? I'll carry on. That's fine. <laughs> sorry. I thought we were gonna. I can. My dogs are just going nuts because the postman's arrived, um, and I thought that. We no, gonna, I can't hear. Can't them. hear them. Brilliant. Okay. I'm just waffling on these a bit. No, yeah. no, no, not at but all. No, but um, but but yeah. So so it's kind of sometimes it's quite frustrating for providers because especially if they know they're like you know I should have got that. Well, actually, you know, bidding is a skill in itself, and commissioners. Mm are often quite hands tied in who they can give those contracts to so so yeah as a commissioner you're kind of always in that slightly um middle ground because actually you don't you don't have a say in very much right yeah you just have to manage the process and make sure it's as fair and transparent as you can if you like because it's very much controlled by procurement and people think that they're the decision makers, don't they? They think that commissioners have all of this decision making ability. Yeah, they can influence a lot. I mean, you know, a good commissioner will will sit between. So you've got the service itself. So you've got the internal service. So you've got, you know, your strategic leads, etc. And they should be really working hard with that commissioner to say, here's what we really need. Here's what the government's telling us. Here's what our local strategy tells us. Here's what I know from my networking in the local area, et cetera. And that will that should then influence what the commissioner thinks they need. They should then go to some kind of market engagement on quite a regular basis. The providers generally know what's going on and, and will say, no, this is not working. Here's how you here's how it should be working. And then the commissioner will take the service specification from the service, the feedback from the authority. The you know the, the legal guidance from the procurement side, and they'll create that kind of tender work that that needs to go out. And obviously, they can influence quite heavily because you're if you're head of commissioning, you're the person that decides the, the way things go. But but you're heavily influenced. You're you're kind of managing that 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 whole process and and feeding in sensibly because mm. you know you might get the. The, quite often we find that procurement and the service is really against each other because the service says procurement's got no idea how, how we want to work and procurement will say the service has got no idea how things work in the real world in the legal world and so often the commissioners in the middle going okay well they want this legally we can do this I've got to find a way to make that work and I've got to work with those providers because they've then got to monitor what's going on during that whole thing and make sure it continues to meet our performance indicators or whatever you've agreed as part of that contract. So, so they, they are decision um, influencers, I'd say, rather than decision makers. Um, the decision at the end of the procurement is, is done through the procurement process. Which is very clearly laid out how that has to be done, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. commissioning will influence what, what we're asking. Mm-hmm. in that procurement so procurement will have the the legal side of it so you've got to have a b c d e legally and then commissioning and with the help of the service hopefully will put down those other questions about you know how will you meet the needs of people here how will you make sure that you're covering this part of the work how will you respond to something if this happens so those they're commissioning questions and commissioning will have the sign off on those but how they're answered and how they're scored will, will be a joint process. So the commissioning can't just say, I, I like this provider, I want to go with them. 
Although I think a lot of commissioners think <laughs> will do their best to do that because obviously commissioning just wants it to happen quickly mm. and get the best outcome. Mm. Mm. It's complex, isn't it? And I think when people like when property investors say, oh, I'm just going to pick up the phone to the commissioner and tell them that I have this building available. Um, what would you say about that? What would you say if you're a property investor and you think you can? You know, they don't do it. There's, you know, commissioners are, are on the whole incredibly busy. Mm-hmm. Um, those that are good at their job who are in everywhere trying to work, you know, that they'll be in their services. They'll be talking to, you know, they'll, they'll be with the strategy leads. They'll be, they're busy people. Mm-hmm. Um coming in and saying I've got a house um, isn't going to be of much use to that commissioner I'd say um, I think it's the best thing to do is find out how that authority commissions and if there's a, for example there might be a framework agreement in place and if there's a framework agreement that organization will already have those links with different providers and you can find out who's on that provider list And then it might be worth going to those providers and say, look, I know you've got a contract with the local authority. Um, We've got a two bedroom flat that might be useful for you. Do you want to, you know, and and you're not signing yourself up with that provider. You can bring a couple of them saying, do you know what I mean? Is this this what you want? And if you've got those relationships, I think that's a really um, good way of starting. Mm. I think also what I would say if you've got property is don't be too focused on what you, you want to do with it because if you're saying well actually this has to be used for this um I think you're sometimes setting yourself off and and it's been I've, I've quite enjoyed reading a lot of the discussions on your groups where you know people have said I've got I think there was somebody I can't remember exactly the thing but it was I've got a ground floor flat for people like in someone was saying well have you thought about and have you thought about because actually if you're in homelessness quite often you can't place somebody who's homeless because they've got they're in a wheelchair or or hospital discharge has happened and actually that person can't make it upstairs anymore so it could be you know a a homeless person who's just left the armed forces or it could be an older person that can no longer live in their three-bedroom house anymore it could be someone with um, physical disabilities who still wants to work but they just need somewhere else to live because actually they can't get in and out of their front door in their current place or it could be someone with a learning disability and additional physical needs as well or it could just be a family fleeing domestic violence who have got a young girl who you know who needs to go to the hospital and is in a wheelchair you don't you don't know who might need it and I think it's just worth being known as a flexible local landlord who who really works hard to meet the needs that are out there and I think if if you're kind of and again it depends on the size of the organization if you've got a commissioner that and and only one manager that knows everything that's going on you know an operations manager it might be worth sort of working your way into being known to them for what's needed if you've got a really big organization they're not going to want to be talking to individual landlords as well um, but you just need to be mindful that there's a complete lack of housing for anyone, full stop. So yeah. there probably is a place for you mm. um, if you're if you're developing good quality housing. But I think the route for developers is probably through the provider sector mm. rather than directly to the to the local authority because they'll potentially just be seen as an irritation. If I'm honest, yeah, I, I mean that's that's always been my take on it, and that's you yeah. Know, 
you know, for those who are listening, there's a guide you can download on my website about finding providers. You know, it's, it's all there available because I, I get asked it so much. I get fed up of explaining it all. But, you know, yeah, it, it's about actually building those relationships with the providers. They've already got the relationships with the local authority, haven't they? You know? Yeah. I mean, the only, the only time it's slightly different is homelessness. Yeah. Because homelessness um, everywhere is currently looking for property. And I think there's a reluctance by developers to take homeless people, homeless families, because it there's sort of this old school, no DSS kind of idea mm. that you're only going to get people that are, are trouble. Mm. But actually, it may be people that are more challenged. But if you're looking at doing something good for, for the world, getting somebody off the street and making their life better is potentially the first step in the rest of their life. Mm. um but also you know it it's pretty much you're going to get filled constantly in terms of you know and if, if you're happy to take a, a pet as well I mean that's often you know a real mm. um challenge for a lot of people especially homeless people with dogs so you know people won't let them in with a dog you know if you're happy to have somebody come in at pretty last minute with their dog the likelihood of them completely wrecking the place is quite low mm. if somebody's got those additional support needs they're likely to go somewhere else but actually if you just take somebody who really needs a bed for the night that there's gaps there and you know as I say and you don't if you can be a bit flexible with how that's used the local authority and the homeless team might really know or I'll just get you know and if you've got a few properties that might be quite useful if you want to be a direct landlord Mm. Um, I think there's there's opportunities there so that's the only time I think it's worth directly going to a local authority you know if you've got if you're an HMO or you've got you know the sign off on the landlord side from the other parts of the council and I think that's worth doing but you know as I say the, the commissioner I think really is is a bit of a linchpin for everything and I think if they do set up things like provider engagement events it's always worth going to them you know they'll be setting that up because they want to meet the local area they want to meet what's going on so that's always a really good move and I think um if you go on the kind of contract finder on the government website and just set up an alert for that that will tell you if there's provider engagement events and I think they're always worth just yeah going to meet you might meet the providers there and go oh hiya it's a bit like your you know your situation but on a local level where you, you might have everybody there and even if you don't get any direct business from it, you'll be getting yourself known and saying, you know, I'm really, you know, people like you. People are much more likely to give, you know, to give work to people they know if you're a provider, mm. if they trust you as a, a landlord. So, yeah, yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, it's about building relationships, so much of it, isn't it? And getting people to trust you. All and... of it. Yeah. But, you know, I say from a commissioning level, I think, you know, commissioners aren't always the best at understanding property. Mm. They don't understand property. They're very service driven and they don't always understand with supported living that the property is what well, quite often they'll commission a property not understanding that actually it needs to be a separate entity. So you, you are really relying on the providers to get it right quite often because then a different commissioner will come in and go, what on earth are you doing? And you'll be in trouble. So, you know, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, go through the provider route. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. And if you are a provider and you're looking, you know, because we've got lots of provider listeners as well, and they're looking to build relationships with commissioners, what would you say about that? Um, again, I'd look at 
always look out for the framework stuff because mm. it, getting on a framework is great um, because it just means you, you're going to get all of the emails for requests for information and stuff. Mm. So you can find out when the current contracts are up for renewal. So there'll be a commissioning cycle in each authority. Um, might be published, might not be published, but you can always say, you know, when are you next? going to be commissioning these services and it's perfectly reasonable for a provider to, I think to email a commissioner mm. and just say can you just let me know when the next commission is going to be so I can build it in mm. um, they'll probably just say keep an eye on the the portal um, and that's fine but you never know they might say oh actually well, well I've got you you know I've got this coming up because we do direct awards sometimes mm. as well which means that we just go directly to someone and agree something if the contract's quite low um, so yeah, if you're a provider, I think, but again, just keep on, you know, the, the portal or the contract finding website, et cetera, and just see when things come up and get yourself into those provider engagements, because that's the way that you'll, you know, but also think about consortium arrangements as well. There's an increased push to kind of get local um, consortium agreements going. So for example, you might have quite a big contract, for example, with domestic abuse. Um, and they want a provider to work with all sorts of different things. So one of the things in domestic abuse contracts now is working much more with men, working much more um, with uh, people with, with, say, with families with different issues. Um, and it might be that one provider doesn't do all of that. So actually, it might be worth saying, well, which we could do this bit. And if, if you particularly want to work in an area, contacting those bigger providers. So actually, we offer something quite bespoke. Um, we've got, you know, especially with DA at the moment, you know, you could, you could very easily say we've got six flats that we could offer for safer accommodation. And that would be really useful, you know, for the DA commissioner to find out or, the you know, the local refuge or whatever. So. It, it depends on your client group and it depends on the local area. But I, you know, as I say, I would go to the local providers, the big local providers, and we'll try. You know, it might be worth trying to work with them as opposed mm. to com competing with them all the time because there are local consortium arrangements more and more these days. That's really interesting, really useful tip for people who have got particular specialist service. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Suzanne, thank you that we've covered so much. It's been really, really helpful today. We'll drop your contact details into the show notes so people want to yeah. find you and find out how they can work with you. Then, they'll Yeah, and any other questions, that, you know, as I say, is, I feel as always I've gone around millions of circles. So, uh, yeah, it's just so complicated, isn't it? It is. It really is. But thank you. It's made it much, much clearer. So thank you. Right. You're welcome. Lovely to see you, Lisa. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening. If you found this useful, then please do click the subscribe button and leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please consider telling someone else about it? Sharing the podcast really helps increase the reach of the show and I would be super grateful. Thank you.